In David's life, at Second Samuel chapter eleven, is a pivotal point of turning point. Up until then, there was an uphill victory and triumph, and that eleven chapter of Second Samuel became a tragic failure. And today's story is actually the confrontation that Nathan brings. And from this point on, there is a struggle and actual troubles, ongoing troubles within his family and within his nation as well. So let's jump right into it, uh, beginning with the recapping, what we learned uh, from, from last week, especially for those of you who weren't here, it will be helpful. This is a story that preceded today's story. Remember that uh, because of success, it created complacency, uh, spiritual complacency in David's life, uh, uh, getting up late, in the late afternoon, early evening from his bed while, while his men are fighting. With the Ammonites. And David's posture, physical posture, gives us some, some hint. But at the same time, in the later when Nathan was confronting, David didn't, dis, didn't regard the word of God with usual fear of the Lord. Why did you despise the word of God? The spiritual complacency, and, and we also meditate on the fact that David's unguarded heart led him to this tragic failure. We have many different kinds of uh, weak points and weak areas in our lives. For David, it happens to be sexual lust. Even with six wives and many concubines, David were tempted with his sexual lust. And it began with that. Secondly, it started with one sin, seemingly lighthearted sin, which is a look on a woman who is beautiful taking a bath from the roof of his palace. Lustful look. But it snowballed into subsequent heinous sins. Horrific sins. How could that snowball effect happen? So the uh, coveting other's wife led into adultery and adultery led into to cover up. The first one is a lie and bring Uriah back from the field of battle to have him sleep with his wife. So go to, you know, with a lot of pretension, is there, go home and wash your feet. The euphemism for take, relax and eat and sleep with your wife. And so that the pregnancy will not be regarded as David's sin. 
And when that didn't work because of Uriah's uh, integrity, that he would actually sleep with his soldiers, with the armors on, on the side of palace. And he sends Uriah back to the battle with a death sentence in, in his hand. Obviously, the uh, man of integrity, Uriah, will not open the letter to his commander, to Joab. To put him in the front of a fiercest battle is going on and retreat so that he might get struck and die. And that did happen. And when he came back, he took the wife of Uriah. Bathsheba is, was his name. But biblical narrator, writer, identifies her as the wife of Uriah. He took as his wife. Stealing, extortion. Five out of ten commandments, half of the ten commandments were broken. And then we, the study was impactful because we thought it was a David's horrific sin, which will, many of us will not be able to say that I've done that or I've, I have a potential to do that. But then yet, the lesson is our own propensity to sin and our own frailty, frailty before the deceitfulness and sinfulness of sin. Sinfulness, deceitfulness of sin first. Obviously, sin is numbing us to a point that we don't even know we are in sin. So it's a very similar effect that happens in people who are in denial, whether uh, chemical dependency, alcohol dependency, or, or anger. So people do not know the self-conceit, self-deception is going on, self-misleading. And the sinfulness of sin is... Sin never stays it itself. It snowballs. So it was so important for us to realize and to receive the word of God that way. It applies to me. I'm not far away from David. It doesn't take such a criminal to commit these kind of sins. I am frail before the temptation and before sins. Those who disregard the power of sin are the ones that who gets in bondage and slave. And then in bondage and slave, the first symptom is I am not enslaved. The typical alcoholic saying or sexholic saying or anyone who is not really come out of the denial. And lastly, it connects with today's story. It seemed like a perfect crime as a king, as a sovereign monarch within his power. No one will confront him. And no one will say anything except jo including Joab. Uriah is dead now. And Bathsheba is David's wife, 
But the story didn't end with that. The last verse in chapter 11 ends with the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Self-deception is even the man who was called as a man after God's own heart thought that some weird reasons the deceitfulness of sin that nobody knew. What about God, David? God saw everything. It was evil in his sight. So we pick up from that ending, and chapter 12 begins with this. Verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he bought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there were travelers to a rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and he, because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus said the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Wow. First of all, a little bit about Nathan. Obviously, Nathan was a prophet of God. So he had special mission, very difficult mission. But let's not forget that Nathan was also close friends of David. He was a confidant. And it was often this way that Nathan will bring up some issues that he knows about. 
and then David would hear and give judgment. And sometimes Nathan was brought into the palace for David to seek counsel, wise counsel from him, and sometimes a direct word of the Lord from him. And we saw that in chapter 7, God spoke through Nathan the special promises, incredible promises, which is also called as the Davidic covenant from which we have Jesus Christ as the son of David, a Messiah. So he came in, but he his mission, let's just kind of imagine this. God told him, Nathan, I need you to go. I want you to go speak the truth and reveal the sin of David right now. Did he give the parable as well? Maybe, maybe not. But we tend to overlook this story. Notice that David was not armed with its defensiveness. He was almost so objective, and he's looking at, and his sensitive spot. David was a man of compassion, man of justice in his character. At least he used to be. He touched his spot. Uh, all the more, he was a shepherd. So when it comes to sheep, he understood that intimate relationship. In this case, poor man's ewe lamb was not a lamb for their uh, a type of the family uh, source for any kind of milk or, or meat. It was a pet. And anyone who owns dog or cat as a pet and you grew up with them, and the, the, the pet has grown, it becomes family, isn't it? And it, it will literally say, the ewe lamb became like his daughter. David knew that. And listen to the wisdom of this story as well. If we just detach ourselves and become impersonal, David, you committed adultery. And you killed the person to get rid of the husband that you could... Okay, so how about, how about this scenario, about this parable, uh, two men, uh, doesn't matter rich or, or poor, uh, one man begins to have lust over the other man's wife and have slept with her. Did you notice this story has a ten times more impact? I've said this last week. Sexual sin is bad enough, but any type of sexual sin with extortion, in, in other words, authority and power, positional power, to course, that's a ten times worse. Any Boy Scout leader, a pastor or a priest 
But Sunday school leader having any kind of sexual abuse, sexual molestation for our kids, that evokes the strongest feeling, isn't it? And the story is not hinder up, I mean hinges upon David's adultery, but in his extortion, this power play. David blurts out with judgment. Cert- certainly this man must surely die. Uh, the five out of uh, ten commandments that he broke, two of them adultery and mo- murder, according to Mosaic law, it is the penalty is that sentence. But that story, when you hear the story about stealing sheep, is not necessarily, at least the Mosaic law, but the impassioned David fell injustice in that so much deserve the death and need to pay fourfold what he has stolen the wisdom and tactfulness and love and care the more I depend and the more I meditate on it I'm humble. But we're usually two. If you're like me, the person who uh, who refused to be wimpy, it is easy to blast the truth and destroys. Usually, we feel so good. So we finally let it out. The confrontation is for me first. Of course, in the name of getting him out of the denial. For those of you naturally, temperamentally gentle people, your problem is avoidance. Why bother? I... I, I, you know, somebody else could do that. Or minimizing. I understand, David. Life is hard. Sometimes as a leader, uh, you need some kind of refueling. Yeah, that happens all the time. By the way, the pastor's talk on this happens all the time. The lures into deeper sin. So let's dwell on it just a bit more. Am I lovingly tactful? Or care enough our, our friends are willing to confront rather than walk away? But as soon as David and Nathan got his attention, he doesn't waste time. He, don't, he doesn't beat around the bush anymore. You 
other man. And he gives it straightforward with boldness. Just think about this. Um, David is a king. Not just an ordinary king. He's a monarch who literally conquered the nations around him. At his word, anybody can get executed. That includes even his close confidant, or he could be prophet. As a matter of fact, in comparison, King Saul exactly did that. He didn't like the high priest, Ahimelech, and he not only killed and executed him by Doeg, he killed every priest in that town, several hundreds of priests. In David's case, Nathan had that much of risk. Tactfulness, yes, but boldness. Verse 10, story continues. It's a powerful, shocking response and the result from that. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. He will lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did this secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before all the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, the wild child was yet alive. We spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead. He may do himself some harm. But when David saw 
that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He's dead. Then David arose from the from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went into his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when, he, when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether, God, whether the Lord will be gracious to, to me, that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Oh, there are so many things in, in this just small passage right here. But let's make sure that we point out some of the important things. First of all, notice two extraordinary displays of character. One is obviously Nathan's courage and boldness. Once again, even at the risk of being executed by the monarch, he had loving confrontation for his friend. Secondly, David's humility in responding to God's conviction through, through Nathan. Did you know in Hebrew words, there's two words, I have sinned. And then, this is the reason why we're going to set aside another Sunday to study on repentance of David, which is revealed in Psalm 51, the song of repentance that he wrote right after this. But just one sentence. One might think that you got to explain yourself a little bit. And no, David's heart finally clicked with what God saw, and he agreed about what God has said about what he did. An evil thing, horrific sin. Let's compare once again in contrast with Saul's response. When Saul was, in a way, David relieved him instead of at the opportunity could could kill him twice. And then David, at the distance, revealed that he was able to stand next to him with a spear and, and, and swore I did not kill you because you are the Lord's anointed. Do you remember? Long speech that Saul had. You are right. I have done wrong. I am shameful because of what I've done. 
bless you, my son, that may the Lord make you king. All that speech. Go in peace. Nothing has changed after that. What David said, little, but truthful admission of his wrong, his sin. Oh, this is something that we need to learn in our generation. Because we could explain away, we have excuses and rationalization. We could blame others. And there's a lot of but. And sometimes those are the typical languages of our regret in the name of repentance instead of just truthful admission and confession to God we could say a lot of religious blahs. You know I'm a passionate man I'm a warrior but I'm a lover at heart. Why does she have to be that beautiful? Why does she have to take a bath in front of me? And how can I resist that? Why didn't Uriah just sleep with her? Everything will be fine from that point on. You see what I'm saying? Another one. One of the misconceptions about forgiveness in our generation is cheap grace. You're forgiven. Oh, that means he is home free. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You shall not die, we get that, and your sin will be uh, it's for- forgiven, Nathan declared. But he, he will say, because of this, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. He shall lie with his enemy, will lie with his, your wives in the sight of the son. You did this secretly, but I'll do it in front of everyone, public. These are actually the consequences of his sin. Oftentimes, sometimes God miraculously even wipes away the consequences. But oftentimes God, as a father, heavenly father, uses those to discipline us. I will raise up evil against you, his own son Solomon, Absalom, I'm sorry, rebelled against his kingdom and he had this revolting plan for four years. We're going to get to that in a few weeks. And then because of his counsel, counselors next to him, to, to declare his equality with the divine king that David, popular king was, and to accentuate his authority, he takes David's concubine, and brings them upstairs uh, on the rooftop and in front of whole Israel in the day, daytime, he have sex with them. 
you have done this secretly, but I'll do this thing in, before all Israel. Let me ask you. Do you have a lesser desire to confess your sins? To be forgiven? Oh, if I, I, I'm, I want to be forgiven for those things. It's a, just a short-sighted thing. And even in our human relationship, your child did something terribly wrong. And you want to restore that child. And you, you hug him. I forgive you. I love you. My thoughts of you, perception of you, have never changed. But if you're loving dad, loving mom, that you will give them appropriate measures of discipline. Whether it could be, so you're grounded for next four weekends, not to mention your school night because of this very thing. After that, why? we just forgiven them. What is your ultimate motive as your parent? You want the child to learn to be a man and woman of character, integrity, so that without you, that he or she will not repeat that. God, Heavenly Father, desires us, the whole purpose and goal of salvation is bring us from the damnation of sin and the evil one, not only that, to make us to his people. What does his people look like? The people of God, like Jesus Christ. The character of our own Lord Jesus. And our generation is too impatient. Starting with me. I just want pain-free life. But there's any kind of Lord's heavy hand on my life. Oh God, just give me a break. Why can't you be God of grace? I like Oprah God better than you. But if, if we really look at the big picture of God's view, the how long we desire to our children to grow up as a man and woman of character, a godly man, apart from our, our control, that God desires us to be like him. So the two things are here. In one sense, we need to develop a sense of urgency. Why? God is ready to forgive us. We don't have to earn the merit to be forgiven. And if we're thinking about any kind of realistic picture, to stay in sin is to be in misery for longer time. 
to, to, to stay apart from the freedom and restoration from sin. So therefore, we need to be urgent. Sin is realized by the conviction or by the loving confrontation of our friends. Then now is the time to confess. Not tomorrow, not next week. Your pastor is no exception. So preparing this message, I was looking forward to it. But you know what the evil one does? I slipped. I committed a sin relationally. I won't go get into that. And I was pretty angry. And the Thursday morning, in my quiet time, God women will not let me go. The conviction is there. Okay, God, just bring that back to me next week and uh, I will confess. But I'm really excited about this week and I need to be on the mountaintop to preach the gospel with boldness and, and what God is asking me to do is, are you real? If you're not real, your message will not be real. But believe me, it took me all morning long to struggle with the guilt and try to push it away, rationalize, have regrets. And I say, next time I'll do better. Game plan. But I had to admit that was wrong for me to have that anger response. There are three lessons. I, 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 I'm, I need to mention this really quickly, although we don't have enough time. Um, it's too important. Number one, modern re- readers will have a problem. Maybe you and me in some degree also too. David's sins were forgiven, but why did the child have to die? Why is God so cruel? And number one, This is an exceptional case. We should not apply that uh, case with uh, us and take any kind of guilt that what what I did is because of, you know, what I did. These things happen. This case case is really, stay with me, really powerful. David is a sinner, but yet David is also prototype of Christ. The forerunner of what the new Messiah will bring. The forgiveness of by grace in the spirit. But what does it, what, what does it need to, to have that kind of new covenant? Sacrificial, redemptive death of Christ. Jesus' blood. Son. Not the child, but the Son of God. taking the cross as a substitutionary atoning death for us. The son died in order that you and I might live. That's the picture. Number two, David's uh, response, not only the responsive to conviction was just simple and to the point, without explaining, without excusing, but he prays for his Sick child. 
This is beautiful thing that we need to learn. Nathan all, all, already told David, your son will die because of this. And then David's attitude is, God is so merciful, abundant in richness of grace. Who knows? God will hear me and keep him alive. That ought to be our heart and our passion. We're praying for our sick ones and praying for people who are in cancer four stage Stage four, any kind of impossibility, we could hang on to God. But what did David do? Did he become cynical and be really doubtful? Can't believe God did that. So the servants were surprised. This is the point of simple childlike faith without demanding spirit. Demanding spirit is you are putting yourself in the center of universe. You demand that God will answer this particular prayer in the way that you would like them, him to do in your time frame. Then you forgot God is sovereign. God is not useful. In his sovereignty, he knows the best. What's good for us, not ourselves. So the, just a good example of David is, okay, I've done what I can do. Now that David, the baby's died, has died, it's for me to move on. With joyful heart, with dependent heart. Why should I fast? He, my baby, cannot come to me. I will go to him. Oh, such a beautiful promise that our infants are covered by the grace of Jesus. So even, even applying that in our prayer life, it would be cynical not to pray. You know, the people will say uh, uh, something like to me, which I appreciate, their intention is good, I, but I'd rather have them really pray rather than giving me just trust God, God will take care of you. May the Lord does his will. Of course he will do his will. But who knows God will do miracle? Who knows God will show us mercy and his favor? Let's pray for zoning issue with that heart. But without demanding spirit. It's the same thing praying for your children. You're praying for your dad and praying for your mom. And praying for your loved ones and praying for your friends who are in a very serious illness. Okay, three lessons. Number one, like Nathan, we are to apply the art of loving confrontation for our close friends. Avoiding two extremes. Talking harshly for our own satisfaction, self-satisfaction. Another extreme is avoiding or minimizing for our self-preservation. We are to confront our friend for their best interest. We are to be tactful for their best reception of the message. 
Proverbs 27, verse 5 to 6 is really summing up this wisdom. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The wounds of our faithful friend creates are trustworthy. It's good. Better than many multiple kisses or kissing up of our enemies. They don't care. They just want to preserve themselves. Do we realize this? Each one of us need a Nathan in our lives. God showed his mercy through Nathan to David. Otherwise, he could have lived like that in denial of his own sin for another decade, another <coughs> two decades or so. And we also need to be a Nathan to our close friends in our men's group, in our women's group. Once again, with the loving tactfulness and bold, straightforward message. Not for ourselves, but the person's best interest and best reception. Lesson number two. The only pathway, I repeat, the only pathway to freedom and restoration from sin is to humbly confess our sins to God in repentance. I'm going to unpack what, what it means to confess in repentance uh, next, next message in, through Psalm 51. But let me just say today, to confess our sins means to say the same thing what God is saying, to agree upon. The Greek word is that. Say the same thing. God calls it horrible sin. You look at it and you admit it, that was a horrible sin. I did it. God calls it, my son, pay the penalty for your sin on the cross. Yes, you say the same thing. And God says, I gave you the power of the Holy Spirit to be free from that particular sin. Yes, I say the same thing. But it begins with simple confession, isn't it? Psalm 32, verse 3 and 4. This is what David wrote, along with the 51, is most well-known repentance song. But at the similar time, Psalm 32 was written also too. And he reveals his heart condition. Verse 3 of Psalm 40, 32. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Verse 5, I have acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So, sense of urgency again. 
brothers and sisters, if there is any sense of guilt in your life, especially when, when you begin to realize any conviction of sins, today is the day that you need to confess your sin to God and say, Lord, I have sinned against you. It was wrong of me. Please forgive me. Please help me turn from this sin. And we must do that personally and specifically. Lord, forgive all my sins. You know my sins. No, forgive this particular sin. Holy Spirit will remind you. Do I have to remember every single thing? No, because your sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. But by confessing particular sin, you are letting your throne to be surrendered. The sinner is surrendered to Jesus again. The exchange of sinner happens. That's what, we, what it means to repent. Once again, Psalm 51 will help us even more so. Lesson number three, a wisdom in fighting sins is to realize two things, that God forgives our sins with tender mercy. That we could expect that God is ready to embrace you with tender mercy. And he's ready to forgive you now. He will not say, go back and make up yourself better and come back. No, right now. But let's also remember number two, God often uses the consequence of our sin to discipline our character. Nehemiah 9.17 talks about God's forgiveness, God's character on that. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, has said, and did not forsake them, the Israelites in the wilderness. Hebrews 12, verse 7 and 11 says the other side of it. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Yes, Lord, we know that. It's really painful. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I think what's marvelous about David's response as a a man after God's own heart is not because he lived a perfect life, obviously, a tremendously messed up life, but his heart was sensitive and responsive. He knew what God really wants. So his repentance is so thorough. It's like shrugging, oh, sorry, my bad. Next time I'll do better. No, he, just one of the Psalms will say, weep so much that his bed is wet because of his groaning. And that he asked for purification 
cleanse me with hyssop. And that message will be so, so powerful that I am really looking forward to it. But sisters and brothers, for those of you who are discouraged, and life is hard, Put your hope in God, who is your heavenly Father. He hasn't forgotten about you. His goal is not make you just go through pain for the sake of pain, but for mold you into his character. Like the gold going to purifying fire. Like the hammering of Smith to sharpen the sore, the rough edges that we have, the idiosyncrasies that hinders the glory of God within much uh, patience in that. I close with this. Eugene Peterson writes <clears throat> another insightful thing on, on this passage. He writes, then Nathan pounces, you are the man, this is the gospel focus. You are the man, you are the woman. The gospel is never about somebody else. It's always about you, about me. The gospel is never a truth in general. It's always a truth in specific. The gospel is never a commentary on ideas or culture or conditions. It's always about actual persons actual pains, actual troubles, actual sin. You, me, who you are and what you've done, who I am and what I've done, it's both easy and common to lose this focus, to let the gospel blur into generalized pronouncements, boozy cosmic opinions, religious indignation. David is now in gospel focus, addressed personally. He answers personally, I have sinned against the Lord. He abandons the generalities of religion. He quits giving out opinions on other people's lives, good or bad, realizes his position before God, a sinner, a person in trouble, a person who needs help, a human being who needs God. So I think it's a good note to end. The beauty of David's life and heart is that David knowing God's tender heart and responding to that in the simple, personal Repentance and confession, returning to that, seeking to be restored by, by God and in his intimacy with him, which God gave him as a pleasure and joy. In Psalm 63, some of you guys will study that tonight. David calls it your hesed love, steadfast love is better than life. May that 
be our confession. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, which really not only guides us, but opens our eyes to, to the realities of our lives, not only in this life, but in life eternal. Yes, Lord, we pray for urgency in our hearts that your Holy Spirit will nudge us and help us to surrender humbly and confess our sins to God today, not tomorrow. Help also that we will persevere with patience, trusting in your fatherly discipline for us with the rough edges and idiosyncrasies we have that we have insisted stubbornly but you want to transform us into image of your son Jesus Christ make our church that way Lord. we sing your grace and mercy this morning we're in awe that you will love us you will accept us. That your headset love is really true in our lives. And be glorified as we obey and apply in your Jesus Son's precious name we pray. Amen.